Welcome to 3 a.m. What's Keeping You Up at Night. Our podcast conversation is driven to bring you the best stories from social impact superstars to answer questions, provoke action, and inspire you. Why do we name the podcast 3 a.m. What's Keeping You Up at Night? Because so many of us wake up in the middle of the night with questions, ideas, concerns, and sometimes regrets. According to the traditional Chinese understanding of how the body works, it's the time in a person's daily cycle when the body intersects the work of detoxification, rest, recovery, and planning. So a perfect time to begin to optimize your impact, disrupt the status quo to make the world better. For this episode of 3 a.m., What's Keeping You Up at Night, we bring a successful venture capitalist and activist in the Nashville entrepreneurial space, Andrew Goldner of GrowthX. GrowthX helps startups, corporations, and countries commercialize innovation through capital, talent, and know-how with online programs, academy experiences, and in-house training. Andrew leads us down the path to understand how to truly test whether your good intention, your change agent program, or your population-level social injustice buster will bring about the transformation you intend. Bringing the business lens to our work is important. I promise this conversation does not mess with your passion, your commitment, or your idealism. It simply strengthens your opportunity to maximize your impact. Get ready to learn a lot from Andrew. Let's jump in. So, Andrew, thank you so much for being on 3A, and we are thrilled that you're here. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you, That's very kind of you. Thanks. We do have a couple things in common. I noticed that your law degree is from Georgetown. Yes. I grew up in Arlington. Okay. And so we both have that playground of D.C. Mm. in our history, which is awesome. But we find you now here in Nashville, and we're very grateful. Just so everybody understands and knows why I know somebody who is a venture capitalist and lawyer, I am in the current cohort at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center in their in-flight program. So that's teaching me all kinds of business lens models that I hope to impart to you folks that are in the social impact space. It's also helping my business, which is tremendous. I think every time I've walked out of one of Andrew's sessions, I have felt as though I no longer understand what I'm doing, but that I have the tools to figure it out. <laughs> so that's kind of a backwards way to say I feel I'm not empowered. Sure no, it's really how cool. I feel no, about it's that really cool. so, plug, but okay. Yeah, no, it's a good plug. I mean, you're a funding guru for sure, right? But I also know you as a compassionate communicator. So when someone asks a question, you edify the question, which is really important for folks who aren't even sure they know what they don't know. And so you allow them to have voice, which is very, very important. And you're also a mentor who pushes and prods. Mm. I mean, I watched you. We had a session today, and so I watched you do that. And you cause us constantly to think about what do I need to know and what do I need to do. Mm. And I think that's going to really be helpful in today's podcast. Would you talk a little bit about the venture capitalist world? And here's why I'm asking you to do that. I think there's going to be a piece of this conversation that's going to talk about how funding and investment, which is how I like to look at funding and investment in the social impact space, mm-hmm. is really kind of the same thing. So the principles are very relatable to both ecosystems. Mm-hmm. 
And I think if we kind of start there, then our questions are going to unfold. And folks who may be listening who are saying, I don't need to hear from a venture capitalist, right? right? Unless I'm going to have an event and I need them to sponsor. Right, right. (laughs) And some may call you. But I'm real excited to get in this conversation that you took us through with GrowthX. And GrowthX for me, of which Andrew is a founding partner, is this holy grail of learning Mm. in the space of working towards being a successful entrepreneur. It's this online software system that actually makes you smarter the moment you click on it. So let's talk about Growth X. Okay. And then venture capitalism just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tell me how a venture capitalist might look at a social impact organization. I think it just depends on what venture capitalist you're talking to. And I don't mean their personality or their personal interests, but you know, so much of what we do, and whether it's for-profit or otherwise, whether it has a social impact or a purely or financial motivation, it's just about figuring out ways to work and help each other. And when we talk about sales, and I'll get to your question, but when we talk about sales, we like to break it down and really talk about it in the context of how do you identify how you can help someone and build a relationship that way. And so in the context of your question, if I'm a venture capitalist, and part of the money that I am spending from my funding sources is to help them fund social enterprises, or if part of my pitch to them to get their money was a hypothesis around the opportunity to create financial returns by smartly investing and helping in social and not just purely financial enterprises, well, then it's quite easy to go about doing that, right? Because again, you're helping me accomplish my objectives. Most venture capitalists, by definition, are financially motivated. Mm-hmm. It's not about you know greed or pure capitalism. It's just about what gets measured gets done. And the money they're spending has an expectation of them. And while they may personally believe in what you're doing or the social enterprise in general, professionally, their money is being spent on the opportunities that are wholly focused on to present the largest financial outcomes. And they're just not incentivized to need to consider or to want to consider the social enterprise aspect of it beyond potentially how it might ultimately make the organization more valuable. So it's the lane, right? Yeah. It's the lane. Stay in your lane. You got it. That would have been a quicker way to say it. I appreciated both answers. So let's walk down that lane, and let's just go right into it. Although I want to layer it a little bit, so we kind of start from germination of the idea, Mm -hmm. why you wake up at 3 a.m. Well, let's start there then, and we'll come back to this finding fit for Mm -hmm. funder, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. which works in both worlds. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. So walk us through, let's say I did wake up at 3 Mm a.m., And I have either been made aware of or now want to lean into a particular social injustice or social challenge. And let's go ahead and make it big at the population level, right? And I'm looking to solve it, not to add a SAF, but to solve it. Filled with them, vigor, and vitality to change the world, mm-hmm. right? All this together. So what do I need to do to get started? And what do I need to know to get started? Well, I think there's a couple of things. And again, I don't think this has anything to do with social versus any other type of idea because I think it's all the same. It's just the same framework to follow. And it really is the clear identification of the problem. It's not about 
an idea you have to do something, to function in a certain way. I don't want to, it's not about do I build a home. It's not about do I plant crops. It's not about do I help, you know, the flow of money across troubled borders for refugees. Those are things that I would consider products. Those are outcomes. And so what we really want to talk about is design thinking, which is all about the problem and it is agnostic to the solution. And so if you're up at 3 a.m. and you're deeply concerned about a problem, that's the place to start is understanding what is that problem. And of all the people in the world who have experience and continue to experience that problem, who are the people that I might be able to help initially as I work to then change the world? And so it all starts with a clear identification of a problem. And then you can move on to some recognizable unit of value to help begin to address that problem not for everybody in the world, but for the people that are best positioned right now, who you can address, who can accept and realize and enjoy that value. You know, one of the heuristics really that we look for among founders are those that have personally experienced the problem. The greatest and most obvious example, I I worked at a big company for many, many years and I kept telling them, I'm seeing this among customers, we really should be able to help them this way. And the big company is like, I just don't think we can do that or we're not gonna do that. But I know there's this problem. I know there's a better way to do this and I'm just gonna leave it, I'm gonna do it. You know, someone who's personally had that problem, obviously in the social space, you can think of a lot of examples of that. And so oftentimes you see social entrepreneurs and others in that community that are really out addressing a problem that they have experienced and they empathetically want to make sure that fewer and no people in the future experience it too. That's a great heuristic of a founder. The, the reality though is we want to be hypothesis driven. For every founder, every idea, no matter what time it hits you, what you don't want to be doing is, you know, being a know-it-all, right? It's what we call being a learn-it-all, right? And that means having a hypothesis which is based on your own experience and your intuition and your relationships and your intelligence, but not just proceeding forward as if you know everything and that you're right. Mm -hmm. Going out and working with people and understanding people in the situation designed to validate or invalidate your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. If you think about the scientist that walks into a, a laboratory they're not just randomly throwing things in a Petri dish and wondering if they'll find anything and curious about what they might see. They, they step in with very specific hypotheses that they want to prove and disprove. And the other thing is there's no ego. My purpose is not to prove that my hypothesis is right. My purpose is to get to the truth without ego, which means that I might be wrong, but if I'm less wrong tomorrow than I am today, I'm on the right path. And so I think what founders typically do is they have an idea and they jump right into creating a manifestation of that in the form of a product. And it unfortunately skips over a very important, in fact, critical part of the 
process, whether it is a buyer, a customer, or someone who's just receiving the value of a social enterprise, if there's not a recognition of need, if I'm not aware of that need I have and in a position to seek solutions, then products and features are never going to go anywhere. The classic example are founders that constantly, all they want to do is demo the product without ever having a conversation with a customer and understanding what that situation is. So, you know, I think it might sound highly technical. It doesn't have to be. It can be done very simply. But I think the first thing you'd want to do is just identify the people that you think are most likely to be experiencing the problem or in the situation you're trying to address and validate it or invalidate it. Just get to the truth. I appreciate that you've put it into that context. There can be a tendency toward a paternalistic attitude sometimes Mm. when we're in that social impact space. Yeah. So if you're going to help somebody, let's say, for instance, in the homeless sphere, what would it look like Mm -hmm. if we invite folks who are experiencing that to the design table? Much like what you've been talking to us about in terms of, you know, the optimum client, right? And I think this gets to the notion of, particularly in the social impact space, what does it look like? for us to truly focus on those who are to be served versus the benefits those who serve are experiencing. That can be really different. If you're going to invite folks to the table who are also going to receive whatever that benefit is, then you truly know if you're hitting the mark or you're off the mark, right? Yeah. The number one competitor for everybody is the status quo. And so, Changing behavior, for those of you who haven't tried, let me tell you, it's hard changing people's behavior. And founders often overlook that because they're too enamored by their idea. And what you were talking about, Deb, the real practical aspects of doing business, which is just means helping people, again, whether it's social or otherwise, are the things that often are the things that stop most often your idea from becoming uh, a reality, um, which is a shame because ultimately you're looking to help as many people as you possibly can. I'll give you one example that comes to mind because it was such a deep learning for me. I don't. I hope I'll never forget it. We've been talking a whole lot about getting more entrepreneurs and more diverse entrepreneurs in Nashville to come and and be a part of Nashville Entrepreneur Week, something that a group of us started a handful of years ago, and just puzzling and puzzling over it, and yet not getting out of the building. So sitting in a room of people that aren't quite as diverse and don't quite have the same backgrounds as those that we're looking to attract, and talking about the content, and talking about the location, what I would consider to be kind of features and functions. And when we finally got out in the community, we asked the question, someone said, well, you know, I have a young child and I have no daycare options and I'll never come because you don't offer those things. I mean, wow. Right. I mean, such an extraordinary insight left in that room for a hundred years would have never come up with. It's just the practical implication. I think another one that's equally as impactful but kind of more businessy is we were helping a startup in their portfolio that was just having a very hard time getting across the finish line. Strong value proposition, great conversations, getting the conversations, getting multiple conversations, strong interests from the customers, and just not getting deals done. 
And when we finally came down to just digging in and talking with some of those customers, they said, I really love this product. I need the help, but I don't have a way to buy it. The, the way that our purchasing structure works at this company, I can't buy your product. And so it was, it's almost comes down to helping to give the people you're looking to serve permission to work with you. Yeah, so it's like the chicken and the egg, right? Whether you see yourself as a do-gooder or however you want to, you know, coin your own identity, there's a humility to trying to provide a product or service or a program in whatever ecosystem you find yourself. And while all of us feel that we have the capacity to you know, break some cycle, I think we can be mistaken that we know because we've read stuff or we know somebody who knows somebody, but we haven't taken necessarily the time to just do some analysis, if you will, through conversation, to make it sound a little bit more congenial, about what is it we could do to make it better. Yeah, and frankly, it's the orientation with which you begin and have the conversation. First of all, it's being interested and willing to get up and go actually meet with human beings and talk with them mm. um, in a synchronous way, mm. which it seems to be a, a dying uh, a dying <laughs> habit. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, it back to that notion of design thinking, you know, being problem-centric and solution agnostic, being oriented towards the customer, it means you know, going and talking about what I can do for you, not what I do. Yes. Yes. And, and there's a there's a big difference. And I and when you come with the orientation of what I can do, you talk about your features and functions and you demo products. And you skip over what Dr. Neil Rackham calls the recognition of need phase. And it sounds all scientific and using those fancy words, but really it just means being oriented to the person you're speaking with and and just understanding a little bit about, you know, how do you go about doing your thing and where is it difficult and where are the challenges? And I, I think for whoever has that idea, everybody thinks they have to think big. Mm-hmm. But the reality is there are so many micro steps that are some of the hardest to do that get taken for granted because they think that I need to spend money creating this big thing first. But the number one reason that these ideas fail to come to fruition empirically are founders that spend their time tinkering in laboratories and not speaking with people and Mm -hmm. helping to understand and address problems. So I, I don't know that I answered your question directly about what do I do? I've got this idea. But to me, that's the first thing is go find the people that you think have it and talk to them and try to learn something. Come away with something new. Well, and I think this investigatory piece, right? Mm -hmm. So you're you're talking to the end user, Mm -hmm. right? But you're also looking into what else is in the market because Mm -hmm. if I can lean into something that's already there and bring this other skill set that maybe broadens the reach of that particular mission, that delivery gets better because of it, or I can bring some contextual understanding to it or connections to it, then that's actually more beneficial to what you're trying to do if the intent is to serve and to focus on those who we are serving mm-hmm. versus the act of serving, I to your point, right? I completely agree. And it's, and it's about setting aside the ego mm. and orientated towards winning. Mm. And in this case, it's there's a problem. I feel passionate about solving that problem 
And if someone else is doing something, maybe I should just help them. It doesn't have to be my idea. Right. But again, you know, you've got to grapple with ego. Yeah. The really important part for all of the listeners to remember is they're not sullying anything. They're not getting in the way of the mission. The person that they want to work with for funding or to sell their art to, you're helping that person. Mm -hmm. They have an objective, personal or professional. For the professional funders, it's transactional. Mm -hmm. Even though it revolves a relationship, they have a KPI, they have a key performance indicator. They have to give away a certain amount of the money in a certain amount of time and report back to their funders and others in that community on how they've done that in a way that measures a large impact. Your goal is to help understand whether or not what they need to accomplish is consistent with what you're doing exactly. and that you can help them accomplish that business objective because that's where the long-term healthy or sustainable relationships come from. Yes. And when you call it sales, it takes on a whole different view, but that that is sales. And again, whether it's the sculptor selling her piece, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about money. It, it sullies the art. Or the social entrepreneur who needs funding to scale, you're helping that person. Even if it's a wealthy donor, you're helping them accomplish a personal objective they have. And I don't think it's semantics. We like to say that the best way to be a salesperson is to show up as a buyer. Huh, that's interesting. And that means you show up from the perspective of understanding what they need you to do and what they are selling you which is what their needs are and helping them accomplish that. I really like the fit for the funder or for the donor or for the customer because it also allows the grace of rejection because it just didn't fit. No is the second best answer in sales. Get there quickly. Amen. Amen. I mean, it's... It's It's the same when you go into a funder and they're like, you know, I really prefer puppies, so the people thing's just not my gig. Or, yeah. And and thank you, that's great. So who else do you know in your network that could help me with this? You got it. Right? That that is absolutely 100% right. Mm -hmm. And and that really needs to be the mindset. Mm -hmm. And if you seek the truth Mm. rather than trying to validate your hypothesis... If you really are oriented to being as helpful as you can to the people or whatever it is that you're looking to serve, you're grateful when that happens and you really just want to create a system and a process that gets you there quickly and efficiently. Yeah. Wow. This has been a great conversation. I think we could continue on and on. Mm, Thank you, Deb. Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate the time. And I appreciate you speaking into this world of social impact so that folks can see there's alignment. But this journey you've taken us on in terms of understanding what you're trying to solve, who you're trying to help, not sell to, and that it is about those people, that issue, those things, versus being right I think that that's so important and so wise for a lot of folks out there who have huge hearts, great intentions, filled with commitment and capacity, want to change the world, disrupt the status quo, but may now know through this conversation that the humility and grace of patience can really jettison their idea much faster 
so that it can serve more or learn that somebody's got a better mousetrap. And so with the skill set you've got and the hunger you've got to serve, lean into that. You know, there's this brand new bedside Mm. book Mm. for those of us who wake up at 3 (laughs) a.m. and are wondering what we did, why we did it, or what we're supposed to do. Mm. And so um, as part of our podcast for our guests, we are always happy and proud to give a copy. So here's your copy. Well, thank you. I love it. I can't wait to. 3 a.m. What's keeping you up at night? I'm going to have it. I'm going to have it on the bedside table. Fabulous. um, For sure. And begin to use it. Great. You could even begin to invite your listeners on the website to, you know, share some of the things they put in their book. What a great idea. It's a great way to create engaged That's community. That's a great idea. Well, you were ever helpful, just yeah. like you were in the last 10 seconds. So I appreciate that. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you again for your time. My pleasure. Um, we are so proud to have you on the podcast. Thank so, you, Deb. Andrew, thank you so much. Amazing takeaways from Andrew Goldner of GrowthX here on 3 a.m., What's Keeping You Up at Night? And here are a few. Our number one competitor is the status quo. You must recognize need to be successful. Simply looking for solutions won't work long-term, and humility and grace will help you fuel the patience you need to get it right and serve best. We are grateful to Andrew and GrowthX for sharing their wisdom with us today. And thank you for joining us. My name is Deb McFarlane Enright. This is the 3 a.m. What's Keeping You Up at Night podcast, a production of the McFarlane Group. Join our community and subscribe to the podcast for bonus material from each episode on our website, themcfarlanegroup.com. Until next time. (music) Thank <music> you.